All right, you guys ready? Yep. All right. You're listening to the Tomorrow Today podcast with Kyle Kaplanis. Don't FOMO right. out. That's right. the biggest mistake in this space right now with FOMO. And Duke McKenzie. That's just crazy, right? It's like it's insane. like conversations with thought leaders, experts, influencers, culture shapers, discussing all things innovative, groundbreaking creative developments evolving digital markets. The podcast for those who are curious about what is next. Social media, Web3, NFTs, the metaverse, all the things you need to know about to start planning tomorrow's success today. Welcome back to Tomorrow Today Podcast. How's it going, Duke? I'm good. I'm good. I'm excited. I'm excited. We got some good stuff going today. Some good stuff. Some good stuff. We do. We got another episode here for the week. And today we're bringing you Frank Hepworth. Frank is an associate lawyer in crypto regulatory and financing law. So we're really pumped to have Frank on the show today to talk to us all about that and share some insight knowledge that he has. Frank, welcome to Tomorrow Today. Welcome to Tomorrow Today, Kyle. You got to clap for Frank, Come right, on. Welcome to, welcome to Tomorrow Today, Frank. Welcome. Thank you, guys. Pumped to be here. Super pumped to have you, man. I want to know, what made you even decide to get into crypto law? How it happened was I was just finishing off a Bachelor of Commerce, a business undergrad, and you can do an exchange. So I went to Hong Kong, and this was in 2017. And when I was in Hong Kong, I made a bet with a buddy on... I think it was on the Super Bowl and he bet against Tom Brady. Don't do that. That's yeah. a bad, that's a bad bet. Yeah. That's what I thought. And so at the end of it, he owed me like a hundred US dollars because he was American, but I'm Canadian. And for him to get that to me, was just such a hassle. Mm-hmm. And so he's like, can I just send you some meat there? I was like, yeah, I'm just not a guy to say no to things. I'll just say yes. And so he sends me the ether. And shortly after I find myself being accepted into law school, but I like to travel whether I'm in university or not. And so I'm traveling around the world through Europe and, and Asia and whatnot. And I always have this ether with me. And I'm like, this is great because I'm always just exchanging my fiat currencies, but my ether is always with me. And also in 2017, we had the bull run. Oh, that was fascinating in itself. The, the law student in me just got right into it. And my first thought is, should I just drop out of law school and go hard on this? And then I thought, nah, it's probably going to need lawyers. So I'm just going to be the best crypto lawyer. And so that was my goal from day one. And I didn't know what that meant. People are like, oh, what kind of law is that? I'm like, I don't know. But whatever the crypto company needs, whatever the crypto protocol needs, I'm just going to deliver on whatever that is. And right away, securities law is is the main one. And then when the platforms get involved, the actual businesses, it's regulatory law. So I said, okay, I'm going to do that. And so that's always been my driver. It's not so much that crypto law fascinated me. It's that crypto fascinated me. And I was just going to make sure I was going to be the lawyer that serviced the crypto company. You went into it with it being the Wild West, because like you said, people are like, what is crypto law? And you're like, I don't even know. Frank, isn't it still the Wild West? Isn't it still like still crazy? Yeah, sorry. It's all of our question. Yeah, all of our clients are companies that are going into the Wild West and they're trying to package it up nicely for their clients, for their users. And when they're doing that process of packaging it up and delivering it, I step in there and I communicate it to the government and say, this is what they're doing in the Wild West. This is how they're packaging it up. And this is why it's okay for the Canadian consumer to, to purchase that package. And the government's like, are you sure? And I'm like, yeah, we're, we're sure. <laughs> Talk to me a little bit more about what does it mean to be a crypto lawyer today? What type of companies are you working with? What type of products are they offering? And what are, what are they asking? What does your day look like? Well, the majority of my time is spent with crypto trading platforms. Mm-hmm. For those companies that onboard users and they'll take their, their fiat Canadian or fiat US dollars and they'll allow them to purchase 
any cryptocurrency out of a, a roster of pretty standardized cryptocurrencies. I think Coinbase has the biggest listing, maybe Kraken, and it's like 75. Uh, and in Canada, we call them crypto assets. That's the term we've decided on as an industry is crypto asset. We also help companies do capital raises through crypto. The investor wants to pay with crypto. And then a lot of our clients are integrating crypto payment systems. It's actually not very crypto at all. It's not very anarchist. It's not very libertarian. It's not very degen. To work within the regulations, you really need to soften and make it palatable for the regulators. You really do get away from DeFi. But I'm all okay with that because I just want to get as many dollars into crypto as I can. And that's mm-hmm. what I think I do. That's the, the tomorrow aspect. I'd really just want to get the government money into the blockchain money. And so when I'm helping these companies do what they do, that's what lets me sleep at night. A lot of our clients are, are getting pretty wealthy and that's good for them, but a lot of them were wealthy to begin with. I'm okay with, with helping them because my friends and family are getting into crypto and that's a good thing. You mentioned working with corporations for them to establish bringing crypto into their day-to-day business transactional type things. Is it becoming more popular for businesses to add crypto into their business strategy? Yeah, definitely. I don't have any data for that, but we all yeah. know that's that's happening. When you say adding to the strategies, like what are you seeing the most of? Is it more all over the board when people are saying, let me accept crypto as a payment? Or what are the types of things that you're seeing that are interesting you the most? That doesn't interest me too much because it's actually a pretty standard business process. Mm-hmm. It's a plug-in on your website, your service, and then you'll accept the crypto and then you'll just offload it into fiat dollars if you need to. And you do that through a trading platform that offer corporate services. It's actually pretty standard, nothing too crazy there. What does fascinate me is the financial markets attempt, as I was talking about earlier, take DeFi products and high yield lending protocols, and then package them up in a product that they will then sell to the mainstream market. That's a really interesting space. And it's going to be a battle between the companies and the regulators over the next few years because Typically, when a financial industry player offers a financial product to the Canadian or US consumer, you need certain disclosures about that product and you need certain guarantees. Very simple example is if it's a share of a company, you need to have public disclosure on the company. You need to know who the CEO is and you need to have transparency. But the proper good yields in DeFi have an inability to be disclosed because there's no one to enforce disclosure on. And the regulators would like to say any sort of DeFi products, traditional finance, you can't offer that. But what they're starting to learn is that DeFi is for the individual and the individual will find access to DeFi if they want to, and they are. And so the regulators are starting to realize we need to start letting these companies offer these new products that we wouldn't previously let them offer. Because if we don't, the individual is going to get it in a way that we have no understanding of rather than the, the hybrid way of like, incorporating a traditional industry player, in which case you could have at least KYC, AML, things like that. Mm -hmm. Some people might be listening that are not familiar with some terms. Can you explain to us what DeFi means in your simple terminology? Sure. Decentralized finance is the replication of the capital markets, the financial markets as we know it right now, but it's a removal of an intermediary. It's sort of just software doing what the stockbrokers would do. And before the stockbrokers would say, okay, you need to come to us through your bank or through your money manager. But now the software that does the stuff that the stockbroker used to do, all it says is you just need your own piece of software on your computer. 
And as long as that piece of software on your computer has some crypto in it, you can interact with us and we can do all the same financial services that your mom and dad and your grandparents have been used to through the JP Morgan and through the Fidelity and through the New York Stock Exchange. We'll do all of that and a whole lot more. And you just got to have the right software in your computer. And people are like, wow, that's crazy. I can download that software and I can do that. And it's way more efficient because I don't need to pay all those middlemen. That, that's fascinating. What I had to wrap my head around, and I started my journey to crypto and, and that more seriously last year, but I had to wrap my head around what is actually currency. You know how you're talking about fiat currency. The definition of that is it's not backed by anything other than a government, right? What's the proper definition of fiat currency? That's what I've been telling people. Yeah, it's a government issued. Yeah, government issued. Yeah. I had to wrap my head around what currency is. It's not dollars in my pocket, right? This is actually a representation of value. And ETH <laughs> is a representation of value. And, and, and I had to wrap my head around that versus when I think of money, I, I think of physical paper money in my pocket. Was that hard for you to, I guess that wasn't hard for you to wrap your head around when you got your first ETH. I guess that's when you said I had to wrap your head around. And, and, and Yes, no. So I always take a lot of pride in this, but after the 2017 bull run, most people fell out of crypto, but I just went extra hard because I had this great example in front of me when I, I was traveling and I did do a lot of traveling in this time because university was so boring. Mm -hmm. I was going through so many fiat currencies, but the ether in my wallet was just like always there. And I knew I could always transact with it. And I was like, this is different. I like this way more. And so in 2018, I was just going nuts into Bitcoin. And by the end of 2018, all the prices were going down. And so I wasn't particularly keen to jump in, but my belief in it was solidifying. And then at 2019, thankfully, when things had flatlined, I was like, yeah, no, this is biblical. I can completely understand. Not how it works. I wish I could. I've gone through the Bitcoin white paper many times, but there's some things in there that I just don't think I have the time to understand. But the concept, certainly. I've lived in Asia for a couple of years and in mainland China for over a year. And seeing how they use WeChat and how fundamentally different their payment structure is than our payment structure, like very different. The only common denominator is that uh, a mobile phone is often used. When I was able to see the two different systems, I was like, yeah, like for sure, crypto and Bitcoin will be holding a value because we're already using 10 different systems. Mm -hmm. What's one more, especially one that's objective and independent? How I see it is that eventually we might have, I don't know if it's going to be Bitcoin or another coin, but there will most likely be a worldwide currency that we'll be able to use so that way there's not all these exchanges you know you can go to china and your bitcoin still works in china or you can go to europe and your bitcoin still works in europe so there's not all these exchanges is that something that you think is going to be happening in the years to come truthfully no i guess maybe everything does point towards centralization but i don't know i think there will always be situations of arbitrage i do think bitcoin will be the ultimate bottom line the easy analogy is is, is currencies to gold. I do think it will take shape in that way. And I do think CBDCs will be very successful. CBDC, um, what, what? Central bank digital currencies. So mm. governments issuing their own cryptocurrency. Mm -hmm. I do think those will take hold and they will have their own utility. Mm. And um, they will neither be a detriment to crypto or an aid. It will just be another thing. Now, here's the thing with Bitcoin, right? It's interesting that you compared it to gold, like a store of value, because as a currency, when you were walking around, you said Asia or, or Europe or wherever with, with your first Ethereum, but, but, but you know how they're doing this big test making, what country is it? El Salvador? Yeah. 
El, yeah, El Salvador. Bitcoin. They said, okay, we're crypto and we're accepting Bitcoin everywhere and, and all of those yeah. things. The problem with Bitcoin is, and I've been purchasing Bitcoin because I'm saying, okay, X percent of my portfolio, I believe in the long-term value in several of these things because this makes sense. And maybe you could bet the right one or not, but a version of this will be a major player over the next 30 years or 20 years or whatever it is. I believe it's one of these three, but who knows? But the challenge with Bitcoin per se and Ethereum or whatever, but let's use Bitcoin, the granddaddy, it's not a good transactional tool because the thing fluctuates all the time and it, it acts more like gold than a fiat currency, like a dollar, right? That, that's what I found. What do you think about that? What are your thoughts and on all of those things you're seeing? Yep. Agreed. <laughs> <laughs> agreed. I would never sell my Bitcoin over my dead body, but I transact with my Bitcoin. Like no way. The thing is stored away. There's going to be, and there are great transactional cryptocurrencies, mm. but just Bitcoin's just not one of them until everything is pegged back to Bitcoin, which won't be happening. It's not a good transactional currency, but I appreciate El Salvador for going for it. The worst case scenario is that their country is going to have an influx of Bitcoin and, and that's just fine. And maybe that's the strategic play. Maybe they're not trying to have a better transactional crypto. Maybe they're just trying to pour Bitcoin, which is fine. Mm. Their citizens are going to do very well. You, you're on the cusp of what's tomorrow, right? And, and all of those things. If you had to make three predictions as to where these cryptocurrencies are going or how people adopt, or if you have any thoughts or something like that, how does the future look to you? Lawyers work very well responding rather than creating. It's a personality flaw of almost all of us. <laughs> I would say Bitcoin's going nowhere. I know a lot of people don't like the proof of work and they don't like how much energy consumption that Bitcoin has and they want that to be changed. Like it's not going to be changed. It shouldn't be changed. That's a feature, not a, a side effect. But what do you think thing. of, sorry for cutting you off on this. So proof of work, what happens right now, describe the proof of work process and then I have a question of proof of stake, but describe the proof of work for the audience. The Bitcoin network is decentralized. There are a bunch of computers out there that maintain the network. And the reason they maintain the network is because they are rewarded with newly mined or newly minted Bitcoin as compensation for their securitization efforts. And they all compete with each other for the opportunity to perform honestly and be rewarded with newly minted Bitcoin. If they do their job and they perform honestly and they process the transactions they're supposed to and deny the transactions they're, they're supposed to, the Bitcoin protocol itself will reward them with brand new Bitcoins. And the way that they compete with each other is by expending tremendous amounts of computational power. And the idea there is that a dishonest actor wouldn't spend all of their resources, all of their money by paying their electricity bills to do this extreme computational effort for them to just go and be a bad actor. There sort of has to be a barrier of entry to earn the opportunity to be a good actor. And bad actors won't be willing to pay the price because Bitcoin is so valuable. You've got hundreds of thousands of these miners competing with each other, expending energy all for the opportunity to be honest and be rewarded with nearly mined Bitcoins. The side effect that gets the attention is the huge energy expenditure. People don't like that about it. Right. It's interesting that you say that. I've been reading about a concept called proof of stake. They saying that you could achieve the same goal. Basically, you have to prove that you're a member of the community and own, own a piece. What do you think of that versus proof of work? I read that the cryptocurrency Ethereum 
in theory, is switching over to that system, I believe. That's that is correct. I'm pretty good. Look at that. Look at that. I am going to law school and I am going to become a crypto lawyer. That's what I'm going to do. That's what I'm going to do. Me and mother, me and Frank. No, I was going to curse. I was going to make a decision. I was going to curse. I was going to go, me and motherfucking Frank. And I'm like, wait, I can't curse. This is a business podcast. You keep that in there. Don't edit that out. All right. This is dang it. This is dang it. But no, that's correct. Ethereum's going from this proof of work right now, it operates the same way. Mm-hmm. Bitcoin does, it's, it's moving to proof of stake. And uh, there are people who want Bitcoin to do the same thing, but Bitcoin works the way it is. And there's a very proper academic arguments out there against this that I actually can't bring up. So I am talking outside of my element here. Mm-hmm. So I won't say too much, but proof of stake is unproven. There are issues with the consensus mechanism. It always comes back to game theory and the game theory hasn't been fully fleshed out yet when it comes to proof of stake. And Bitcoin is a different asset. The the proof of work makes it a much harder asset than proof of stake is an argument I know is brought up. But I know that people get their knickers in a twist. My parents would say that they're English. Over over the proof of work, energy expenditure. I think people underestimate the value of Bitcoin. It is the only asset that the world has access to, at least everyone with a cell phone, that is not affiliated with any centralized entity. We had gold before and other commodities. But those were always quite inaccessible. Like ask someone in Zimbabwe to get exposure to gold and they're going to have a tough time. Mm-hmm. But they all have cell phones and there's going to be extreme value that comes from that. Extreme value. That's true. Um, so what, what you're saying, I actually like that. So, so yeah, and like, like basically what you're arguing and your thesis is, is that, yes, this is using a lot of power, a lot of power. However, the value that Bitcoin is going to be providing the world and the opportunity is worth the opportunity cost of the power that we're using. It is for it is. That's your thesis. And and that's and that's an interesting thesis because you are correct. And I guess that's what the promise is, right? The promise is if this could be a more globally available commodity or asset like currency as a store of value. You talk about gold is not accessible. And the way that you get exposure to gold is you deal with it, the financial markets where your banker calls this guy or girl to, to sell you in this fund and blah, 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 right? It's not accessible to get exposure to gold where you're right. As this expands, every single person in the world has access to a cell, cell, a cell phone. Mm-hmm. And this is the product that finds exposure to Bitcoin and these other types of currencies, but that gives Bitcoin an edge. And that's why you're arguing that people have not fully digested the value of Bitcoin as of yet. Exactly. But also, this is another sort of counter argument that's brought up. Also, Bitcoin miners are incentivized towards renewable energy sources because they're cheaper. So they're competing with each other at profit. And so their fossil fuels are quite expensive. And so they're going to be naturally going towards the cheapest fuel that they can, which is renewables. They will be going for solar and wind and hydro for sure. All Bitcoin will be renewable strictly by capital market forces alone or by market it's, forces alone. Which is a good thing. It is a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. That's great. Yeah, that's um, awesome. That was fascinating. Let's leave it there. Frank, thank you. Thank you very much for coming on today. I think this is very useful and educational. And I would say uh, I'm going to tell my son to grow up to be a crypto lawyer like my man Frank. <laughs> here. All right. Thanks. Thanks a lot for coming yeah, on. Thanks, Frank. Thanks, thanks man, for having man. me. I appreciate it. 
Thanks for listening to the Tomorrow Today podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Be sure to follow us on social media at Project Z Talent. That's P-R-J-T-Z Talent. And stay tuned next week for more of the Tomorrow Today podcast. Because shaping your tomorrow starts today.